You know, if, even if we don't know that RSVP is an acronym for the French phrase, respondez s'il vous plaît, pretty good, huh? Um, we, Billy's not here, I can do that. Uh, we do know what we are expected to do when we receive an invitation that includes one. We are being asked to respond. And courtesy does demand that we respond to an invitation, even if it's only with our regrets. In fact, invitations are of no value if there's no response. The same is true of God's invitation to us. We must respond to his invitation. And Jesus used a personal invitation to a Sabbath day meal to teach us a great deal about responding to invitations. And the first thing he taught, he simply modeled for us. And he did so by accepting the invitation. We're in the 14th chapter of Luke's gospel this morning, ready for verses 1 through 6. And it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a certain man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took a hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? Now we have no record of Jesus ever refusing someone's invitation to visit their home, even the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And whether this Pharisee was one of those who had warned Jesus about Herod's threat or not, we aren't told. All we are told is that he was a leader of the Pharisees, apparently a member of the Sanhedrin. And by now, as a body, the Pharisees were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus, and he knew it. Still, Jesus accepted the invitation. He went to his home knowing that even if the one who had invited him had not done so with ulterior motives, there would no doubt be some there who would be looking for something to use against him. And it soon became obvious that he was being watched and being watched closely. Because a man with dropsy, or as we would call it today, severe edema, was positioned in front of him. And his grotesquely swollen limbs made it obvious he was in great distress. And everyone was watching to see what Jesus was going to do about it on the Sabbath. Now, they no doubt had a good idea what he would do. The Gospels record seven instances when Jesus was confronted by a need for healing on the Sabbath. And he did the same thing every time. He healed the afflicted. But to somewhat disarm his critics on this occasion, he first asked them if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. 
And they didn't answer. He healed the man and sent him away, making it clear that Jesus knew the man was merely a pawn being used against him and not one of the guests at the meal. He then asked them which one of them wouldn't rescue a son or even an ox that had fallen into a well on the Sabbath. Again, there was no response. Jesus had taken the upper hand in a tense and awkward situation and would turn the whole afternoon into a positive time of teaching. But he would have missed the opportunity if he had failed to respond to the invitation. And I think we need to learn from that. I'm sure there have been times when you've received an invitation to which you did not want to respond. You know, maybe you were being invited to a party at which you would be expected to buy something or bring something. And you really didn't want the value of your purchase or your gift being evaluated. Maybe you were afraid responding to the invitation would obligate you to reciprocate in one way or another. Maybe you just didn't feel like going anywhere. Now, I can understand all those reasons. In fact, I can personally identify with all of them. Still, we might do well to follow Jesus' example in such situations. Who knows what opportunities might be missed by ignoring or turning down an invitation. Opportunities for sharing our faith, for meeting a need, for building relationships, or for simply enjoying someone's company. Now, that in itself, I think, should give us something to think about. But we can take this even further. You know, some are hesitant to respond to God's invitation. They're afraid that if they say yes, they'll find themselves obligated to more than they expected. Or they are afraid that they will have to live up to the expectations of others and that everything they do from that point on, will be evaluated with a critical eye. And sadly, those things may be true. But to not accept God's invitation is to miss the opportunity of a lifetime, of eternity, in fact. And while his invitation may frighten us, at least we do not have to worry about his motives for offering it. He proved his motive on the cross. So our first response to God's invitation is to simply accept it. And then we must make sure we accept it humbly. Verses 7 through 11. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. 
For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, I really don't think that Jesus was trying to be the Emily Post of the first century here. You know, it's true, the guest's manners were atrocious. If they couldn't get on either side of the host, they at least wanted the central position on a triclinium, the three-place couches upon which they reclined while eating. They wanted the seats of honor. Well, Jesus warned them that they would be embarrassed if they had taken someone else's proper place. How humiliating to be asked to move to a lesser place so someone more distinguished could have their rightful place. Jesus noted it would be much better to take the least desirable seat and then have the host invite you to move up. Now, that's good advice. And it's a demonstration of proper manners, and manners are important. You know, I think we're all reminded how important they are when we take our children or grandchildren out in public. But that's not really the point here. Jesus is talking about our places in the kingdom, our places around the messianic table. Luke says this is a parable. And as our kids know, a parable is an earthly story with what? A heavenly meaning. You know, Jesus wasn't really all that concerned about sparing a bunch of Pharisees' embarrassment at dinner. He was talking about the kingdom. You know, just because we've been invited to join him around the table doesn't mean we are the most important guest of the king. We are important to him. Extremely so. But we should never assume we are the most important. We should humbly accept his invitation and be glad to be there. But we must not exalt ourselves and think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We must never start thinking that we deserve to be there. That we're the star of the show. And start lording it over others, seeking places of honor. Again, sadly, this does happen in the church. But Jesus made it clear that when it does happen, God will humble somebody. Sometime. Somewhere. We are all here. At the invitation of the king. Let him place us where he wants us. Let him honor us as he desires. The places of honor are not dependent upon self-assertiveness, but on the discretion and good judgment of the host. Let's humbly accept his offer to sit at table with him. And let's accept it gratefully verses 12 through 14. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. 
since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, Jesus' remarks here were addressed to the host. He was warning him not to think too highly of himself either. If he was only inviting friends and family and rich neighbors to his banquets, he was not really being generous. He was just setting the stage for reciprocal action on their part, counting on being repaid for his generous invitations. If the host really wanted to be generous, he should invite those who could not repay him, the poor, crippled, lame, and blind. That's real generosity. And that's the kind God will repay at the resurrection with words of commendation. Well done. We should practice such generosity today with no thought of repayment. And if we're offended because someone does not repay our invitation, we better rethink our motive for giving it in the first place. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying it's wrong to socialize with friends and family, or that every time we throw a party, we should include a token poor person. He's simply pointing out that if we really want to practice generosity, we shouldn't hesitate to include those we know will never be able to repay us. True as that is, however, that's not the bottom line in this teaching. This is again a parable reminding us of the nature of God. He didn't invite those who deserved it to join him in the kingdom. Those who could repay him and his generosity. Instead, he invited those who could never repay him. And who could? No one. God's invitation is impossible to reciprocate. We just accept it gratefully. There's no way to even the score. We are always going to be in his debt. So we just thank him and show our gratitude by loving him and trying to please him. But we give up any silly ideas of settling accounts or even worse, making God our debtor, thinking he owes us something because we've been good. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. And it will always be like that. He invited us to join him in his kingdom. And he paid the admission price through the death of his son. All we can do is gratefully accept it. And accept it sincerely. And when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, 
I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. Some have suggested that was the only legitimate excuse. The slave came back and reported this to his master. And the head of the household became angry and said to a slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. At Jesus' mention of the resurrection of the righteous, one of his guests, one of the guests exclaimed, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. I'm sure his assumption and that of his pharisaical friends, was that they were the ones who would be eating that bread. They assumed the respectable Jews were the ones with meal tickets. And the Jewish rejects, and of course all Gentiles, would be excluded. Well, Jesus' parable blew that kind of thinking out of the water. It was customary in Jesus' day, for a dinner to be announced days in advance. The invitation would go out announcing the date, but not the time. Those who accepted would then be notified by courier when the meal was ready, since preparations were elaborate and means of telling time inexact. So those in the parable had already accepted the invitation. They said they would come. When time came for them to fulfill their commitment, they all made ridiculous excuses. They really didn't want to come, but tried to save face. It was considered the highest of insults to say yes and then refuse to come. So they tried to excuse their not showing up. But their excuses were transparent. No one has to go and look at a piece of land after it's been purchased. It's not going anywhere. He just wanted to gloat over his wise purchase. No one tries out oxen, again, after they're purchased. It'd be too late to try them out. It'd be like buying something on eBay. And then see if it's any good. He just wanted to get busy making his oxen pay. Getting a return on his investment. And the man who was recently married, he just wanted to stay home with his wife. Now it's true, the law exempted him from military obligations for a year. But not from social contacts. So these weren't reasons, just excuses. 
And they were ridiculous excuses for not following through on their commitments to the king. But they're still being used. Many today say yes to God. They accept his invitation to become part of the kingdom of God, but are then too busy to come when the kingdom gathers for a spiritual meal. I'm afraid far too many Christians allow their possessions to possess them. They've invested so much in a toy, be it a boat, a camper, a motorcycle, or whatever, that they feel they have to get their money's worth out of it. That often means using it on weekends, including Sunday mornings. Or they allow the demands of work or business to come first. After all, they've got bills to pay a chance for a sale or overtime on Sunday is just too good to pass up. Or, as we all know, family time is very important. But that doesn't mean the kids and their sporting events should take precedence over family worship and activities at church. Now, I'm not saying it's a denial of our commitment to Christ if we miss an occasional Sunday. But the point of the parable is that when we say we will come, we better not start looking for lame excuses when we decide we would really rather be doing something else. Jesus' parable had specific application to his Jewish listeners. They had said yes to God. They would be his people. But when his son came and said it was time to gather around the table, they didn't want to associate with him. He didn't meet their expectations. So the invitation was extended to the publicans and sinners among them, the outcasts of Jewish society. And when there was still room around his table, he sent out invitations to those outside the city, to the Gentiles. He wanted the seats at his table filled. And if those who had initially accepted the invitation changed their minds, their seats would be given to someone else. And if they later decided they would like to come, they could very well find their seats taken. If we, like the Pharisaical Jews of Jesus' day, refuse to come after accepting the invitation, others will take our places in the kingdom. His work will be done. And his table will be full. And if we later decide we really do want to be included, we may find that the banquet is over. The door is closed. And it's too late to come. Fortunately, it's not now too late. 
The invitation is still open. But if you say yes to his invitation, you better plan on following through with a commitment to come when a meal is being served. The meal of his worth and the meal of his body and blood. The invitation is offered. And I would encourage you to accept it. To accept it humbly. To accept it gratefully. And to accept it sincerely. All things are ready. Come to the feast. 